Hello, Patreon people, and welcome to an episode of Something New to Watch, a side project to the Intermillennium Media Project where we discuss things currently in theaters, or in this case, half things that are currently in theaters. <laughs> I'll edit this out, but suddenly when you got into gear, you started clipping the daylights out of the microphone. <laughs> ah, take that microphone. I rolled like a crit. That. Here. Ah, yes, you are. Sorry, I've been saving some of this vocal <laughs> capacity until I'd gotten on microphone. All right, I'm going to move it back a tiny bit. <laughs> back, All I say. Right. Back. <laughs> yeah, I think that this this is a, a, a Patreon bonus that I think counts both as an out of bounds and as a something new to watch. Exactly. Because the subject now is dungeons and dungeons and dragons and dragons. I'm sorry, I need to roll for perception to understand that. I made Ian watch the Dungeons and Dragons movie. Have you ever heard of Honor Amongst Thieves? Yes, but first things first. I made Ian watch the Dungeons and Dragons movie from the year 2000. The one starring Justin Whalen? Yes. Oh boy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we did that. I, I have now seen all of that. Oh. That starred Justin Whalen and Marlon Wayans and Zoe McClellan and Jeremy Irons chewing every bit of scenery he could get his teeth into. Jeremy Irons, oh my goodness. So much. Jeremy Irons was in a different movie. And sometimes that works, like Merlin in Excalibur, sometimes less so. <laughs> there is enough Jeremy Irons in this movie, though, just hamming it up. That if you waved a magnet near this movie, it would move. <laughs> there is that much iron content. <laughs> <laughs> so, this movie, it did not... I don't think it did very well. And I, watching it, I really don't see it as a successful movie. Oh, no, this is not a successful movie. It seems very much a movie created by committee and therefore an extremely generic movie. For a brand as strong as Dungeons & Dragons has been with its ups and downs, it was just generic fantasy movie may contain one or more of the following elves and dwarves and magic and whatnot. It was distinctly a, a air quotes, Dungeons & Dragons movie written by people who I do not think had ever had played a tabletop RPG. If they had, they had gotten so many studio notes and other people's input that... It was drained of all of that. There's things about it that felt more more reminiscent to me of a, a JRPG cutscene in a video game, or of the movie that shows up in the background of a different movie when a character <laughs> needs to watch a fantasy movie. Yes. I saw the science fiction version of that at an Alamo a few months ago. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's... Yeah, it... There, There is some structure to the story. There is some setup. It's set in fantasy world in which mages are the important people. Everybody who's not a mage is a second-class citizen. And our two main characters are thieves, or rogue-slash-thief type characters. Yeah. Played by, as we said, Justin Whalen and Marlon Wayans. And they, they seek to rob the Magic Academy... Just at the time when the big bad guys are trying to steal this important scroll from the 
head of the Magic Academy. Okay. So they wind up teamed up, uh, grudgingly teamed up with Marina Pretensa, played by Zoe McClellan, who is the apprentice mage to the high mage, because they have to save the world by getting a thing. I don't even remember at this point. I don't either. either. All I remember is thinking that she is a character both story-wise important enough and removed from threat frequently enough that it feels like some... If this is, in fact, a tabletop RPG game, someone told the DM they have to let their little sister sit at the table. (laughs) They handed her a character, made her important, and then removed her in combat every time until the end when she complained. And at some point along the way, um, like they, they team up with Superfluous the Dwarf. Yes. <laughs> who does nothing but exist to be the butt of dwarf jokes. You could replace every single one of his lines with an actual audio clip from the Lord of the Rings movies, and you wouldn't change much. Not much. He's just kind of there. So they have to, they have to get a jewel called the Eye of the Dragon... Because getting the jewel means that they can get the rod, the special magic wand, which will allow control of red dragons. Meanwhile, the enemy has a rod that he's trained to let, that he's like powered up that lets him control gold dragons. Yes. I have to admit, the opening scene of the movie is pretty cool. Yes. Because it's in the the dungeon laboratory of Jeremy Irons' character, who's a member of, like, the council of this city or country, who's secretly trying to take it over. And he has he's trying to figure out a way to create a new version of this rod that lets you control red dragons. And the opening scene is him testing his latest attempt at this, which means he's got a red dragon in a cage on a chain. Yeah. And he can control it temporarily, and then his device fails, and the the dragon runs amok. It's a pretty cool scene if you can if you accept the limitations of 1999 uh, CGI. Yeah, there is something a little bit video toaster about this with the the screensavers and such. And and if if the rest of the movie had lived up to that level of production and had lived up to that level of pacing and excitement. This could have been a really good movie. It could have been. But it, it quick as soon as we leave them and join our main characters, it's like teen movie comedy stuff. Yeah. And again, I can see a committee deciding, well, this is going to be our audience. Who plays these games? Yeah, middle schoolers and high schoolers. Uh, so let's make a movie about them being in their fantasy world. It's the it it like a lot of tabletop RPGs is kind of being relegated to kids stuff aspect yes and that is true of the characters it's also true of the humor yeah it's true of of we mentioned jeremy irons over the top performance as the bad guy but they missed something very important and that is i know that when i was in elementary school and middle school playing dungeons and dragons i wasn't playing characters just a few years older than me. I wasn't trying to play myself in this fantasy world. Yeah. The characters that my friends and I played when we were that age were 
grown-ass adults engaging with 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 big skills and capabilities engaging in in great adventures it wasn't me and my buddies getting accidentally involved in a great adventure yeah there's a there's a disconnect there about the idea of the target audience being the main character and those being the same thing and even if they miss one they also then applied that to the the main character and made that assumption that you only can appreciate this if you match with them right they missed the the boat on understanding that some fiction even fantasy can be aspirational yeah i want to imagine what it's like to be a person like that when i'm a grown up mm-hmm. as opposed to what i would do in that situation the way i am now yeah it gives you a chance to play a character who might encounter things you never will and therefore explore what that might mean that's part of it or 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 do things you wish to do and therefore self-inspire there's something there but it, this one completely misses it and replaces it with weird comedy and even weirder costuming sometimes <laughs> i admit i knew of this movie before because the internet had already ripped it apart Mostly for the bad guy's right-hand man, who is blue lipstick and, like, brainworms the guy in the creepiest (laughs) ways. I know back in my days of watching other reviewers online, this was a thing that would pop up on regular as your weird clips and and strange moments to joke about. Yeah, there were some creepy and violent things in this movie. Yeah. That was was probably the most intense. Mm Mm-hmm. And... There were a few times where I could kind of recognize, well, certainly a character class or or character species I could recognize from the game Dungeons & Dragons, but the rest of it, the magic and so many things, it just seemed so generic. It never felt like playing D&D had ever felt. To both its benefit and its detriment, a tabletop RPG session has a specific kind of framework that the rules will create, and You don't have to follow that if you're making a movie of it, but there is some sort of that structure you'll see pop up. People having certain things in their their tool set that they'd use, people remembering they have the same tool to use later, Uh, this movement from travel to fight to travel to fight kind of being this pace you've got going, and the story weaving itself between those two parts. And it seems to me... You might be closer to this at the might have been closer to this at the time than me. It seems to me that D and D was kind of at an ebb in popularity among RPGs at that turn of the millennium time frame, that nineteen ninety nine, Partly because of the way the editions had changed, and partly because other things had had gained more popularity among people who wanted to play. Does that sound right to you? It does. That's going to put me in in elementary school mm-hmm. and then leading up and I admit, I didn't hear much about it in elementary school I only knew of it because my folks had played this oh, thing okay okay but when I hit middle school there started to be little bits of rumbling about uh I mean I remember like the chess club in middle school there was this odd thing where after the chess season was over they started playing card games and this tabletop game uh-huh that the instructor had and they started playing that and it started to overwhelm and take over and the Uh chess club was growing 
faster than it had when it was just chess. And that was odd, but it was saying that there was something here that was becoming popular. And as I went through high school, it was getting louder and louder and more popular. By the time I graduated, now we're talking almost a decade after this movie. A decade after this movie, actually, yeah. That's when I was hearing about D&D being a thing. And I was hearing about tabletop RPGs and board games becoming something different than what they were. And those all kind of grouped together and were propelled along. Partially because a lot of the people who were online were the people who enjoyed those things already. So by the time anyone else arrived at an online space that was built, the people who were into Dungeons and Dragons and such had already been the ones to set it up. They were the forward scouts building the internet places everyone else was showing up at. So everyone kind of got to know it because the person who runs this place likes it. And that became a, a source of everyone's interest. And when you started playing tabletop RPGs, if I recall correctly, it started more with things like Pathfinder than playing D&D itself mm, at first. Yeah, when I was playing in, uh, in college, there were people playing Pathfinder uh, there were people playing um, Vampire the Masquerade, a lot of other systems. Mm -hmm. In some ways, because Dungeons & Dragons at that time was the old thing that was very stuck. Dungeons & Dragons was go if you, only if you wanted to tell a, a, a fantasy story about heroes. Yeah. And if you wanted anything grayer, if you wanted to do anything different, you can't use that. Those rules force you into that story. And there was that kind of concept. And then as things changed, different editions of D&D had come out. Pathfinder changed and some of these things modified. And I started seeing people use rule sets based on feel, not based on story. But that came later. Yeah. At the time, uh, I started playing Dungeons & Dragons was very pigeonholed in its narrative, regardless of its rule set. And then it seems like later on, when you get into like 4th edition and 5th edition, D&D started to lean into its, its value as a, a style and a collection of settings, not just a generic fantasy RPG set. Absolutely. Yeah. And it, it was also kind of catching up, because there was other rules out there that I'd been hearing that had started to attempt to put out books that let you change it. There were new versions of Vampire that were letting you do different things. There were people playing Savage Worlds and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And I started hearing about that. And then Dungeons & Dragons goes from 4th edition, which was almost more board game-like, people were saying, into 5th edition. And it starts getting a lot of popularity from there. This is also when podcasts taking off got people interested. I remember listening to uh, an old podcast where... Like Will Wheaton and friends played a couple of tabletop games of 4th edition Dungeons & Dragons. And then later on, there's Adventure Zone and Critical Role. And now all the stuff with uh, Brennan Lee Mulligan and all these things are just filling up the space with more tabletop RPGs and Dungeons & Dragons being amongst them as a, a, a tool for the narrative of all types. Yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't really thought about that in that in 2000, there weren't podcasts. There wasn't that kind of community. And when actual play podcasts became a thing, it seems like, not all of them by any means, but they tend to lean towards Dungeons & Dragons itself, partly because it is 
It's very accessible. Anybody who wants to read and understand the rules can find it and buy it easily. It's something that even people who are only casually aware of role-playing games at least know about. So it makes sense that podcasts will have leaned towards D&D and whatever edition they're, they're focused on. And that wasn't the case in 2000. And, it's, no. and that brings back to the way this Dungeons & Dragons movie just seemed very generic. And it seemed like an attempt to squeeze some value out of a trademark that was not as valuable as it had been once upon a time. Exactly. It, Dungeons & Dragons was at a low I'd say, in 2000. And it makes sense that it would be thought of as not much beyond being, oh, that's fantasy. That lumped in with that. Because we had not had yet Lord of the Rings making fantasy popular in the way it is. We didn't even have spaces like MySpace and Gaia Online for another three years where people in my generation were then talking and chatting and getting used to hearing about, looking up, maybe even playing these games on a chat room and such, and yeah. getting that sort of experience. There wasn't any way to know about it unless you already had a person or in like a magazine or something else. Yeah, that's a good point about context. The first Lord of the Rings movie came out in, in uh, 1999. So it's not as if this movie was made in response to that, but I could see them seeing on the horizon, oh, there's a D&D movie, there's a, a Lord of the Rings movie coming out. We've got this Dungeons and Dragons property. We should prepare now and start making a movie. Yeah, to oh. be, make sure we're on that bandwagon. It's actually a year after. Yeah, well, Fellowship of the Ring was came out two thousand one. Oh, I thought so. Well, this actually beat oh. Fellowship of the Ring to theaters. I didn't realize that. I thought it was a year later. It was already in production by then. Oh, okay, so this and is yeah. this is a oh, there's this fantasy thing coming out. Let's grab something else from the fantasy bin and make a movie. And they uh. grab Dungeons and Dragons. And, and make this. And Fellowship of the Ring took a, took a bit longer to make than I think this movie took to make. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so ultimately, this movie was... I mean, it had its goofy laugh points, but it wasn't a satisfying movie to watch. Hey, DMs, you want a weird set of deep-cut magical items to throw into your players? <laughs> and maybe, in, maybe throw that one guy at your table for an absolute loop when they recognize it? Maybe watch this. Otherwise, why? <laughs> why? There's one other thing I need to mention, though, about the cast. And that is the fact that Thora Birch is in this movie. Thora Birch was, like, right in the middle of this early apparent stardom. The year before, she had been, when she was very young, in American Beauty. The year after, she's in the weird and amazing and weirdly amazing movie Ghost World. And right in between, she's playing the queen or the princess in Dungeons and Dragons. Okay. And her scenes are so much better. Her little speeches in this are so much better than the rest of the movie put together. I think she's doing a fine job presenting not great writing she was handed. And I did, it didn't catch me the same. <laughs> that, but that I'm understanding. True. Yeah. So it was, I, I did a double take. Is that who is that? That's Thora Birch. What is she doing in this movie? Get out of there! <laughs> what are you doing? Oh no! But yeah, it's it is not a movie I could recommend. Certainly, no. But they've tried again. Actually, to note, they actually made a sequel to the 2000 movie that they went straight to DVD and didn't include anyone. Yeah, there were some a couple of direct-to-video sequels, weren't there? Yeah, 
I have not seen any of those, and I have not made you watch any of those. No, nor would you succeed at making me. What about Honor Amongst Thieves? A big Hollywood budget was attempted once again. Yes. This year. This year, we've got Dungeons and Dragons. Honor Among Thieves. And that we went out to see at the AMC last week. We did. I, my hopes were high based upon the cast and based upon the trailers. I tried to go into it without my hopes too high. Mm-hmm. But it, it met my, it, uh, my, my hopes or my expectations. Absolutely. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. It is the description of fantasy action heist comedy that I saw <laughs> online felt weird. And then I reread it after I'd seen it and said, oh, yeah, that's what that was. And it's very good. And it feels like a movie that is inspired. I, weirdly enough, it's less inspired by the fact that of what the thought of Dungeons and Dragons is pop culturally, and more off of some of what pop culture things that use D and D are now. Yes, it, it it has that extra layer of being about based on Dungeons and Dragons and being about all the things that Dungeons and Dragons are about, mm-hmm. or that are about Dungeons and Dragons. Getting it starts and it starts in the same way that a lot of campaigns do. It's characters getting to have their backstories and their motivation gathering together to do a job. A setup kind of given in a narrative flashback by almost a DM at times, I feel like, explaining what your story and world is and where you're at. It does the, it does that flow of like travel to action to travel to action thing that I described sitting down and playing the game having. It does that pretty well. There's traveling between the scenes. There's action beats. There's people pulling their spells and remembering what they have. And, you know, not always being victorious, but not... But everyone gets a shot at doing something. Everyone gets a turn. There's moments where it... There's even moments where it felt like someone tries to do something and fails to. Yeah. Despite thinking they could. In a very, ah, uh, dang it, I rolled a three kind of moment. In a perfect way. I'm thinking the alley fight scene has yes. plenty of those where getting your foot unstuck should be simple. But you really feel like Chris Pine's character is rolling low <laughs> over and over and wanting to be in this, but his teammate has to do all the fight because he can't seem to get past this simple <laughs> skill check. And it, you, you're absolutely right. You, the ups and downs of our characters have that feeling, and yet it's not so... It, it feels that way, but it doesn't feel artificial. Right. Because it wraps into the characters. It wraps into the rest of the action. It, in some ways, it's a good inspiration for how to use the results of die rolls in D&D to drive your narrative. And not leave it at, oh, you rolled a two, you didn't succeed. Now let's go on to the next person's action. Yeah. You rolled a two. What happens because of that? What, how does that build the narrative before we move on? Shows like, as I mentioned before, Critical Role, The Adventure Zone, Dimension 20, are all popular in part because they're able to give a cinematic feel to their game. And this is another example of what that means and showing that extra level of actual movie polish to it. But all of those are kind of great inspiration for how to play up in your stories 
with those. You know, take the roles and roll with them and act around it. It's great. And that is part of what I think is the real strength of this movie and what it has, what really sets it apart from that earlier movie. And that is, it got the tone right. Yes. I know that for D&D games that I've been in, at least, especially ones that went on for a while, and I knew the players, I knew the characters, the tone was very specific in that in the story, there were high stakes and there were things that had to be done and consequences for failure and success. And yet, the players were there to enjoy playing a game, and always there were weird character bits and jokes and humor that crept in in the dialogue, in the action, and none of that necessarily diminished the importance and the high stakes of the action. It was just all about tone, and Honor Among Thieves got that tone right. Some of that is to the writing, some of that, I think, is to the cast, who who capture and convey that really well. Absolutely. Something I'd heard about this is that in order to prep for it, the cast had, in fact, sat down and played a game with their characters first. That They describe some of these people going on an adventure beforehand and doing these little heists, and that they'd played through one of these heists pre-movie to know the characters and get the feel. And I believe that. I absolutely do. The very fact that there were D&D character sheets for these movie characters is promising in itself. The fact that the cast got together and played a game uh, with those characters, so they kind of understood the, the tone and the, the pacing of a D&D game. I definitely believe that, and I think that it probably helped contribute to the movies getting it right. There's some things in this movie which I admit... Felt a little, well, we've got to show one of those. There's moments where certain things feel crammed in or certain references have almost a, you know, like the thing. Maybe it's just because I know other D&D properties and such that certain repetitions felt like, of course he did that. It felt heavy handed, but for someone who doesn't know those, it might be a great spark for interest. They've, They've got these little bits here and there. There's a throwaway of, that was wild magic. What that is was a little odd and doesn't fit, but that's an entire thing from a different table in the book. Right. And so it's like, that felt like you didn't, like, why you used that phrase was a little contrived, but fun. And it was something there, you know? Yeah, for me, those were kind of nostalgic Easter eggs. I liked how many things in the movie I could recognize from the game without them seeming to stop the movie saying, huh, you get it? Here it is. Wild Magic was probably one of the clumsier ones, but the fact that we see monsters like Displacer Beasts and Gelatinous Cubes and um, uh, Intellect Devourers and Mimics, that that made, oh, yeah, I remember, this is Dungeons and & Dragons, and we're watching a movie about it. How cool is oh, that? Yeah. I, I I even do think... I, I swear, during the end scene, there's an entire area which I think looked like a uh, one of the tan battle mat grids everyone has. <laughs> because they've, they've got the texture, they've got this red-lined grid across the entire thing, and I'm like, I'm sorry, this looks like someone's drawing something and erasing it out on this floor, and I'm excited by that. It's clever. But it, 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 that, that moment was just like, oh, wait a minute, I think I see an actual prop of a, of a thing. On the table. 
and that's where and I could possibly fault this movie for having that very artificial construction in the ending where they are in a a game that has to do with an arbitrary maze filled with monsters and weapons and maybe treasure being set up. I mean, I guess that is a dungeon. Yeah, but I can I can accept that because they establish well enough in the narrative this is a tournament that a, the previous ruler had banned because it was too unpleasant and violent. The new ruler has reinstituted. So it was supposed to be artificial. It's a game. But more importantly, it was the fact of that game was one part of a very complicated set of settings and circumstances and goals that the last act of the movie focused on. It wasn't just the whole movie is to get you to the game and the last act of the movie is just the game. The game was a little operational detail of everything else the characters had to do compared to what we see in the 2000 movie, which is, I get the impression somebody decided, well, we need a dungeon-like maze at some point. So they throw in near the middle of the movie, this test that they have to pass to become members of a thieves' guild to get a thing. And that just seemed, we have to check a box, we'll throw it in there. The movie, the, the story wouldn't be changed at all if this didn't have to happen. That was so artificial compared to the, the detail that had been set up and that was part of a much bigger context in the, the later movie. Exactly. So I expected to enjoy this movie. I, I came out having enjoyed it more than I, I thought I would. Yes, I, I'm with you. I'm kind of glad. Something I've been worried in a weird way is that they try to make reference to the 2000 movie in the background at all during the new movie, and they didn't. Hey, I and didn't, I feel that means they understood and learned their lesson. They kind of want to forget about that. Good. I didn't notice anything about oh, that. Oh, yeah. But they did make reference to fun other stuff. So. They made one other pretty funny reference in that game. Actually, on that note, um, I've, I've been handed a, a letter from our producer here. Uh, wait, you're not discussing Dungeons & Dragons, the mid-80s animated TV series? Oh, well, that will have to be a future episode. Wait, uh, what? <laughs> what? I um, think... Oh. I never watched that. Wait a minute. Did, <gasps> did you ever watch that? Oh, of course. We might both have to watch this at some point. I think that, uh, that our producer, Mrs. Darling Wife, might make this happen. <laughs> Ooh! I've been excited to see when one of these would happen. And hey, Patreon people, you get a preview. <laughs> but I, do, I did notice enough of a reference, though. Yes. The group from that show... Is one of the other groups fighting in the game? <laughs> brilliantly. Well, uh, they were fighting brilliantly? I'm not sure about that. They were inserted brilliantly. Actually, they're the ones who found a weapon and succeeded at the maze, and I assume escaped the rest of the story. I guess so, although... Um, Last we saw, they were trapped in there. Yeah, and... Things went bad Our, our in heroes there. in this movie didn't really expect that sanctuary cage to be as safe as, as it was made out to be. So, I don't know. Maybe they survived. Maybe we'll find out in a sequel. I don't... Maybe. I expect they're going to make another Dungeons & Dragons movie, I given the success of this one. I wouldn't be surprised if they make another. Um, I just don't know how long it would be until we get it. 
and I don't know how they would continue off. I'm really hoping, because they did a couple things where they've got, they've got a brilliant moment where they've got a character who comes in and leaves before the end. Yes. And it's a moment that I want to cite because it, in terms of the story, it fits. In terms of the feel of playing a game, it was a wonderful moment of showing not everyone has to be able to attend every session of the game. It felt like someone who could come in for a couple for a, a, a night of play, but couldn't stay after, couldn't make the next one. And I appreciate that. And the DM very well and carefully comes up with an adventure that's important to our main characters, but can include this side character for an evening. Correct. And so I can imagine them doing another story, and I hope the same level of external to narrative property being translated through it into this story, I hope that if they do another one, they don't just try to do another story with the same characters. They do something with a new set of people, both so that we can see more of the world, but also because it could be fun if it feels like another set of players. And if you feel like some of them might be the same player with a new character, I could see I could see it being done badly, but there's something about having that feeling of the tabletop game like that I could appreciate. But so this is interesting. So you're are, this being a Hollywood movie, yes, being a big budget. If they're going to make a sequel, they're going to have to bring their main actors back. Mm-hmm. So are you thinking we can have those actors? playing different D&D characters, as if Chris Pine is the player. In this movie, he's playing Edgen the, the thief. In the next movie, he's playing somebody else. Maybe. Or, and I'm just going to pitch this idea, you have a scene where a character speaks up about knowing something. Someone else turns and says, wait, how do you know that? And there's suddenly this moment of little bit of backpedaling where it's a well, this guy told me at this place. And you get a cameo. <laughs> and it's obviously someone remembering something from their last session, but forgetting that this new character shouldn't know it. So having to explain that they got it from their previous one, you could do that. And I've literally seen that happen at a table before. Oh, And I could imagine that being a fun little way of like, hi, cameo from the previous cast, handoff, but you don't have to be here for the next one, and do that little bit of continuity that way. Oh, I want the, I want the next movie. We've got Chris Pine playing an, a ranger. Yes. And there's this flashback in which his ranger is talking to Edgen, the thief, who's now played by, like, Chris Hemsworth or somebody. Exactly. Completely <laughs> different. Having this butt. It's like, hi, I need you to take this. It's going to be useful. What? Just trust me. Okay, that's why I've got it. <laughs> I don't know that Hollywood would trust an audience enough to do that, but I sure wish they did. If they did, it would be brilliant. Yeah. Your idea of having it, yeah, same players, that can mean someone playing a game. It can also mean actors. The same players, different characters, different setting, maybe. Mm -hmm. That would be interesting. That could be very interesting. <laughs> so I've got some hopes there, but... I also don't know what will happen. I don't know how well this will finally do in theaters. I'm getting, I'm hearing a lot about it, but it's been pretty successful just in terms of uh, gauging. I haven't looked at the box office, but gauged by how many showtimes movies are giving it in its second and third and succeeding weeks. That's usually a sign that they're selling a lot of tickets. So, yeah, if maybe it is, it's successful enough to have a sequel greenlit. Oh yeah.
I'm fine if they don't, but I would absolutely go to see it if they do. I'm excited. So yeah, we'll we'll see what the what happens with this. But it was kind of wild to get to compare these two. <laughs> yeah, I figured that we we would need to, given the fact that the podcast we do is all about context of old movies, both old and new, that we would have to um, we would have to at least acknowledge the original Dungeons and Dragons because you know we talk about revive, reboot, rest in peace. This is a reboot. They did a D and D movie before. This is. This is this is an absolute reboot, but I'm glad they picked up and rolled the dice again. <laughs> well, thank you very much for listening. We really hope you enjoyed this. It was a lot of fun uh, watching these movies and then uh, getting to hear what Ian thinks about them. Why, thank you. We will be back, of course, on the Made podcast feed every other week with tales of media from the 20th century, unless Ian takes over again. And we'll be back with more uh, Patreon bonuses. Uh, for things both uh, old and new. Thank you for supporting, and see you next time. And in the meantime, find old and new things to watch.